Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Aaron Pym, and what I like to do here on the pod is bring fun and sexy guests into the studio to talk about sex and sexuality with me. Today, I have someone back, back, back again on the pod. Please welcome everybody, sexologist and relationship coach, Alicia Fisher. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm like a bad rash. I just keep coming back, just you keep know? keep coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I know. <laughs> I think I, I think of other things to compare you to before Bad Rash, but right. um, you know, <laughs> self-image <laughs> is subjective, right? Um, Alicia, yeah, it's been a while. We were saying we can't even remember the last time we had you on here. So why don't we go ahead and like kind of reintroduce you to um, my listeners? Um, just tell us kind of what who you are and what you what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me back. So my name is Alicia Fisher. I'm a sexologist and a relationship coach. So I work with individuals and people in relationships to help enhance their intimate connections to themselves and one another. So I'm actually doing my PhD in human sexuality. So I have that really fun academic lens, but I've been involved in this work for numerous years, hosting a variety of workshops and also, um, speaking at conferences about my research and even working with individuals and couples through uh, coaching appointments, talking about themselves, working through intimacies or just having some really dirty fun. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Cute. Um, What are some of your favorite topics to speak on? Because I think when I look at like when I'm following your socials, the things I see are like those times when you are doing like public speaking events, talking on certain topics. So what are some of your faves that you've been doing that with? You know, it's it's like a parent to a child. You can't have a favorite, but we all secretly do have a favorite. Um, my dirty slash sexy slash sexy lingo bingos are one of my favorite events to host because I really, it's not um, typical bingo numbers. I actually use sexy words. And so through these words, um, I'm able to educate about a variety of topics, everything from sexual health to intimacy, connection, relationships, to safer sex practices, to kink and BDSM. So it really opens the door to a lot of different topics and a lot of great kind of educational talking points, mm-hmm. all while giving out sex toys, because, you know, what else do you want to do as a student with your free time? <laughs> Win sex toys. I love that. So what do what do those like evenings look like? Typically, I'm, I'm picturing like bingo, old school bingo hall. What What's different about it? Yeah, so uh, typically with these, I'm at um, a school bar. So a lot of them I'm at colleges and universities at their local um, on-campus bars, and uh, which makes it kind of fun. And um, so there's there's drinks, there's food, people get these bingo cards, um, sometimes there's crayons, sometimes there's bingo dabbers and really uh, aggressive bingo dabbing uh, that goes on. And oh uh, I'm at the front of the stage. I, I'm talking about all the different sexy products 
products, adult toys that um, sometimes a school has or like the student life has has purchased for uh, for this event. It can get it can get pretty fun. You know, there's some vibes that go on at different schools. Uh, for example, one school they always have to have some sort of granny something, uh, where that's literally granny porn, a granny blow up doll, a granny fleshlight. Like there's always something. They love the granny. elderly. <laughs> they do, uh, you know, um, and then I have uh, words that pop up as I'm like going through them and people are getting like a line, an X or whatever. And then there is a kind of a Q&A online interactive component too, where uh, some people get into some pretty interesting conversations and some vibes come up. You know, one vibe with one school was all about pegging. Another vibe Ooh, at another wow. school was just calling me daddy and mommy the entire time. So, you know, we go with the flow and have a lot of fun. Love that. What kind of uh, sex toys are usually around? What are, what are some of these giveaways and uh, some of the toys you talk about at these events? Oh, goodness. It, it's like everything. So sometimes there's little fun pasties, uh, the sexy dice, blowjob, pop rock candy. And then we get into like the fun toys of vibrators and dildos and some really fun Wevi products, satisfier, clitoral pulsation products, double-ended dildos, blow-up dolls, wow. whips and, and nipple clamps. It, it really is the whole gamut of, of toys. So I have a lot of fun. And do you get an opportunity, I'm sure you do, to like talk about when somebody wins it, like the different ways you can use this toy or how you use it safe? or like some creative ideas, stuff like that? Absolutely. So at the beginning, I go through and I explain a lot of the toys. Some people will put questions into the Q&A of like, can you explain this toy? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then other times there's the confusion of once they win, I make them make their fun orgasm sounds or talk about their favorite sexual position or some dirty thing that's gone on in their program. And uh, and then they sit there and hold up a toy and like, what is this? So then I'll go in and explain it even more. It definitely is a little bit more creative because it's just like, okay, pick your prize. We've got, you know, 20 more prizes to give out. So I can't, uh, you know, sit there and go through all the safety measures. But mm -hmm. throughout the game, there's things... I have words like lube, uh, safer barriers, uh, and all the variety that you can use. And I even mm -hmm. talk about like certain toys too. So I can't go into too much detail, but there's definitely a lot of fun creative process that goes into these. Yeah, it's important also that people can pick their prize, I think, because sometimes that that is a thing of like, you win a thing and you literally don't know the first thing about it or how to use it. And you're like, ah, and you don't end up using it, right? So it's like Absolutely. I, the, the opportunity you give them to choose. Um, is really important. I feel like unless, this is so uh, great. Yes, yes. Unless you're, unless you're like the last one, then you know you're. <laughs> It's yeah. so funny, you know, uh, a school I was at last time, nobody wanted the strap on. And so for the winner, uh, like the, finally we had like a winner and I'm like, okay, if you come up here, you are consenting to winning the strap on because we had <laughs> so many people coming up and they're like, I don't want that. I'm like, then why did you come up here? Like, so. How could you not want it? A strap on is lovely and you can use it in so many ways. Yeah. And it was purple. So I'm like, oh, how can you not? How can you not? On. Just say it's for a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't be shy. <laughs> no shame, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. That's so funny because, like, I know you're like really you're an academic, so like, it's just so lovely to me that you have these like two sides of you. I'm a Gemini, so I appreciate uh, people <laughs> that leave these double lives as we do sometimes. It's like you have this, uh, you know, academic side, but then basically you're hosting like it sounds like you're hosting like a frat party. Like you're literally just like. 
um, having fun. Like, it's got educational components, of course. But, like, I love that you can kind of bring these two worlds together of, like, sex is fun. And also, like, I can research the hell out of um, sexuality, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I call myself as like the educational and entertainment. And I really love to merge these two because when we think back to our time in sex education, it's like, don't laugh or you go to the hallway. And I'm like, why not? Like, sex is awkward and funny. And sometimes we just have to laugh at just how ridiculous our bodies are sometimes. So I really open up that space for laughter. But it's also really educational. And, you know, I also engage in... um, the like this like testing of people rate their knowledge like how do you rate your knowledge about sexual health and consent right now versus mm. at the end and the lowest increase i've seen is a 12 percent increase in wow. knowledge from the beginning of the night to the end of the night and it goes it only goes up from there so it really is a really fun but also educational experience and that is what exactly what students need yeah ex- exactly you want to like really destigmatize it right so the fact to show that like you know, you can laugh. It is awkward. It's fine. Like, just try to take that pressure off um, or, like, take the, you know, the fearfulness or the scariness off of these topics, right? Like, it's okay to laugh and have fun and we can do this in a bar and hang out and drink and, like, whatever and talk about sex. It's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, I want to maybe um, start off our our little discussion with um, something interesting that we were kind of talking about, because since you do um, have this academic background and you have a lot of um, training uh, at school with therapy training, um, however, you have gone into the path of being a relationship coach rather Mm -hmm. than, and I understand... um, that that's a very conscious choice for you to go rather than be like relationship therapist to go into relationship coach. Can we maybe talk about like, what are the differences between those two things? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, as you said, I wear many hats, sometimes hard hats, sometimes soft hats. And, uh, (laughs) and, you know, I do dabble in the world of academia. I am doing my PhD in it, but I also really value the clinical approach, the educational approach to sexuality, um, and the lived experience as well. And as well as theory too, because why not throw theory in there? And so I've done a lot of training because I initially thought, okay, if I'm going to get into this world of helping people with their sex, intimacy, and relationship lifestyles, I need to be a sex therapist because that's what we see in, you know, everyday kind of media, right? That was my first exposure to it was uh, TMZ posted an article about the American Idol contestant staying in the Playboy TV swing house. I don't know if I've told you this, but this is what got me into this world. And I was like, that doesn't look like the Playboy TV, the Playboy mansion. And so when I went and dug into it, I came across the Playboy TV show Swing. And there is where I initially was connected to um, one of the first sex therapists on there. I can't remember her name, but the host of the show was Dr. Jessica O'Reilly. And it's just crazy how things work out because... Um, the next week I'm listening to the radio and the everything to do with sex show was in town and Dr. Mm -hmm. Jessica O'Reilly was there. So Mm -hmm. of course that's when I went up and introduced myself to her and was like, okay, here's what I want to do. And she's like, here's how I can help you. And so I dabbled a little bit into the world of clinical approaches to human sexuality. And I found very, very quickly after some intensive sex therapy training out of Guelph University, 
that it's quite narrow in scope and focus. It's quite narrow in how they approach sexuality and how they then work with clients. So what I have found through my initial work before I was quote unquote accredited um, or aiming to be accredited with a sex therapist uh, accreditation was like, oh, my clients love to explore sexuality in such a uh, vast array of ways, right? It's not just talking mm-hmm. about historical stuff. It's not just talking about current stuff. Some people actually need the role play. They actually need to practice and do these things. And ethically, you cannot do that as a therapist. You cannot, mm, okay, you know, okay. yep, yep, yep. <laughs> exactly. And, and ask clients to, to role play and to, to do these things. And um, I really found too that clients just really open up to me a lot more because they don't feel as if I'm limited too. So I think they, they feel that vibe. They're like, okay, if you're a therapist, I can only talk to you about therapy things. As a coach, I can talk to you about everything in my life. And that is something that is really important to me. I have that therapy training. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I have that ability to work through the past stuff, the past trauma, the relationship issues and how that's currently affecting the present. And as a coach, I can then take that information, which I've been able to uncover and support with my client and then be able to move forward in a solution that is creative and exciting and really works for the client. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I feel like um, anyone that is a sexologist like yourself that I've spoken to on the past, specifically like uh, interviewing them for the podcast, it's they've talked about this thing where they kind of have to separate these two words, worlds of like um, academia and then like sexuality and practice. It's like you can't really merge those two worlds, like specifically say like sex work and um, mm-hmm. being an academia uh, person in sexuality in that field. You know what I mean? Like they don't, yeah. they're not okay with those worlds touching, blending, whatever. So it's, is is that part of it too? That it's like um, therapy is kind of regulated through the academic system, whereas coaching is, can be, is freer to be perhaps like a more of a hands-on approach and a more of like, actually talking about like sex like it's it's crazy that they have to be separate is that is that part of it yeah with therapy they don't necessarily have to do sex and relationship training so that Mm -hmm. was kind of a big hole and obviously i dug more into like the sex therapy world but generally speaking when it comes to clinical psychotherapy super generally you can dive into a lot of different topics with that and sex is definitely not one that comes up super often um, which is really really uh disappointing and especially talking about alternative forms of sexual intimacy and connection. Um, It's very much written in this heteronormative, monogamous vanilla. Not that there's anything wrong with vanilla, but there's just quite a limited scope in terms of how they understand what sexual scripts are, what is intimacy, desire. And then ultimately... If that's not working for a relationship, it's like, oh, well, there's other things. And it's like, no, sexual compatibility is part of what connects us. And I don't mean that you have to have sex with your partner, but you have to be compatible on a, in a sexual nature, not physically sexual, but there has to be some level of connection there. 
-hmm. And what I found with therapy is that it's, it's quite narrow in terms of how they approach it. With all that being said, I have learned a lot through my sex therapy training um, and different ways in which our regular lives can impact our sex lives. For example, did you know that if a male were to get in a car accident and have severe whiplash, that can then lead to erectile dysfunction issues? Oh, wow. No, I didn't. So that is like one, you know, one random thing that sure. I've learned from my sex therapy training that I found to be, um, you know, important to my work. And that with I actually had one client who did have a car accident and that and then he didn't even know because, of course, doctors don't talk yeah, to you about your sex how life. You? It's yeah, exactly. It's OK. Here's the here's the pill. Here's the Viagra. Here's Cialis. Off you go. See you later. Yes. Yeah. Not talking about the symptoms versus talking about what's causing the symptoms or what could be causing the symptoms. That's so interesting. Yeah, I feel like um, this is kind of an interesting thing that you mentioned, that you, the uh, energy that you're getting from your relationship coach clients is that they feel more uh, comfortable to talk to you about everything versus maybe in a therapy setting, they might be thinking, okay, I can't really talk about that in this context. Um, Can you tell me more more about that because that's that's a huge component you want to be able to talk to your therapist about everything but that's really difficult you know a a difficult reality that a lot of people don't feel like they can Mm -hmm. what's going on there yeah one thing that has come up for my clients that I've heard of is the duty to report for certain therapies um and and clinicians so um Whereas with the coaching world, because it is a little bit more unregulated, not necessarily accredited, like anyone can call themselves a coach. So that's kind of one of the downsides to it. So if you're looking for a coach, one thing I recommend is looking at what are their um, accreditations, what are uh, the things that they bring to to that coaching setting. But um, with clinicians, there is a, a, a duty to report. So how, like, obviously there's things like self-harm to right. yourself, harm to others. Um, but that harm to others can be really big and vague. And uh, especially when it comes to sexuality. And if we're talking about having ideas about, um, you know, alternative forms of sexuality that aren't necessarily legal, then there's a duty to report that. And so, you know, with me, I I haven't really come across too many clients where it's, um, um, where there is that like potential of harm, but you know, the thoughts have come up and I'm like, okay, here's how we can address that. Whereas in therapy, no, it's shut down and you're immediately reported to the authorities. So absolutely. So I'm talking about things like, um, uh, you know, attraction to young people. I'm talking about bestiality. I'm talking about, um, incest, talking about sexual violence. Um, and you know, with sexual assault centers too, uh, across Ontario, if you are a perpetrator of sexual violence or sexual assault, you can't get support if you've been uh, assaulted yourself. Um, because if you disclose that you've, perpetrated harm then they're like oh we can't help you which is a very scary downfall um as someone who used to be involved in that work as an educator that was uh really sad to hear um because if you know we just we breed harm then we're not going to heal you know i think i think healing is a community healing non-individual healing aspect but um yeah like clients just feel really 
comfortable opening up and talking to me, I typically begin sessions talking about where I'm coming from, why I've chosen this role as a coach. And I think clients really appreciate that because it shows that I'm not just here because I want to be a therapist or I want to just do this. They see that this is something that I have put a lot of thought, energy, and passion into. And clients really connect to that. They're like, okay, this is someone who wants to be here because they want to help other people. Mm -hmm. And you have the background that can support you you know, um, to be able to help them is important. So vet your, you know, whoever you're going to go see, whether it be a therapist or a coach or whatever, um, label they use for their work, just make sure you vet them and, um, have a, do a little research before you dive in probably is a good idea. Mm-hmm. So that's so interesting, this uh, thing to report, like, cause I'm wondering then would that extend to things, um, that like sex, like sex work, would that extend to things like, um, kink, because I mean, you know, legally, there are all these gray areas. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you like spanking, and you have your partner spanking you, you know, might that that I imagine that might be th- something you wouldn't totally feel comfortable if you knew your therapist might interpret that as harm or violence, um, like non consensual violence, like, mm-hmm. um, or sex work, you know, as illegal, and they go and report you that's like wow I always recommend having the opportunity to to vet and talk to your therapist your coach beforehand some of them offer like a 15 minute consultation call Mm -hmm. and there is where you can ask you know the general questions of you know what are your views on sex work kink BDSM I even did that with my couples therapist where I'm engaged in a open relationship with my partner Mm -hmm. and the therapist didn't know much about that but how he then talked about non-monogamy, his understandings about relationship, then showed me that he is not going to allow, you know, uh, mainstream bias to uh, to veil his ability to support us. So that is why ultimately then went with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but having someone who really understands what, um, you know, kink, BDSM, sex work, um, really understands like what these professions, what these... Um, sexual engagement strategies are and that it's not just you know the horror that the media shows it as it's not just Mm -hmm. non-consensual coercion all the time like this can be a really beautiful way of connecting and there can be quite a limitation in regards to sex therapy and and how they teach about these things um, that can really cloud uh, a therapist's ability to support individuals and i've had a couple individuals recently Uh, reaching out to me and they start off their session with saying Alicia I love my partner I want to be with my partner and you know if you're going to tell me to leave my partner then we can't do this because I've been to a couple therapists and these therapists say just leave your relationship and they're Mm -hmm. like Alicia I can't leave my relationship we just had a baby and we're having financial issues and in my mind I'm like how can a therapist be saying that how can a therapist be saying leave your relationship Um, and that's not I I would never tell a client, um, you know, whether they should or shouldn't do something, especially as serious as leaving a relationship. Uh, But allegedly, this is what um, has been going on. So it's it's a weird thing that's been coming up recently with a couple clients of mine. Interesting. Um, This notion of just leave. And I'm like, oh, okay, well then. (laughs) Wow. So like instead of, so you as a relationship coach then hearing that information, you know, about relationship struggles and whatnot, maybe coupled with... Um, 
you know, having having a baby or financial troubles, like what is an approach that you would um, that you would make surrounding stuff like that? But that's not well, just leave the partner. (laughs) Yeah, right. I I like to kind of go back and figure out, you know, what connected you to that partner in the beginning? And how can we then replicate that? How can we then reconnect to those feelings? Because, you know, once you get to know someone, you get to know some of their quirks and Maybe they're not as funny as they were in the beginning of the relationship. Maybe they aren't as sexy or as uh, sexually compatible as they were in the beginning of a relationship because Mm. in the beginning, things were fun and exciting. And so some of my strategies are very much like connecting to those earlier stages of connection, but Mm -hmm. it's also then about communication. How are you now communicating with your partner? How are you listening to your partner? How are you responding to your partner? How is your partner responding to you? And so from there, we then talk about strategies about how can you be an effective listener? So Hmm. it's not just, well, you never do the dishes. Well, how can we communicate that you need more support around the home? So it's looking for alternative, more solution-focused based strategies to, to move forward, to work forward and work with your partner. One of the more difficult areas is when I'm with the individual um, within the couple and mm-hmm. one partner's not present, the other partner is. And so I'm only getting one side of the story. Yeah. But again, I, I'm not sitting here looking at this one individual and telling them that they're perfect and do, that they're doing everything that they can. I do like to push and ask those questions. Do you think you're effectively communicating your needs? Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's ways that you can improve how you understand yourself? in relation to this relationship. So I do push a little bit with that, but um, telling someone to leave is certainly a personal decision that I would never want to make for a client. Yeah, of course. And like, I feel like mm, as a a person, I'm polyamorous as well. So as a person like that enters new relationships, like um, knowing that the person has conflict resolution skills um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, is willing to... um, willing to use them with me is like really important like that's a real green flag for me starting Mm -hmm. a relationship so it's like yeah if you're if the person the professional you're seeing for your relationship struggles is like not helping you employ those it's that seems just so contradictory to me it's like Mm -hmm. just leave them it's like okay well uh no (laughs) I don't know. And, you know, this is a job for them. And if they're not doing the job that you need them to do, then I wouldn't mind asking them too. like, hey, like, so I'm wanting to uh, seek out more in this area. I'm not sure if I'm getting it from this relationship or sorry, from this uh, therapeutic relationship. Is there a a referral or someone else? And, you know, if you're going to have a therapist that says, no, 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 I can do it. I can do it. Then maybe you need to just rethink, okay, is this therapist? Is this, um, support worker the one that's uh gonna help me or are they just doing this for themselves at this point right yeah so that's an indicator if you do kind of bring that topic up of like hey I think it might be time to move on you know I might be needing help in this area that is maybe a different area than we've tackled together and gauging the reaction of that yeah that I feel like that would be a really hard thing to bring up is there any advice maybe you can give surrounding that if like you're you know you've had a few sessions with either a therapist or a coach or whatever and you're feeling that maybe this isn't a great match for whatever reason do you have some advice for like how you might start that conversation to be like hey this isn't 
working out, I don't think. And maybe I'm going to shop around a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a very daunting conversation. And, you know, you can try doing this over email as well. It's not the best uh, solution, but one thing um, that I've done, because I've actually, I've had a time in my past where I've had to switch practitioners. And, you know, one thing I said to them is, you know, I love how you've um, approached this area of my life. I think I just want to shift to somebody else to hear a different perspective on this other Uh, area of my life. Um, So it's like you are supporting what they've done well and then maybe highlighting an area where they can improve right i think of like the sexy oreo sandwich where you say something that you like sandwich compliment sandwich yeah (laughs) (laughs) where you say something you've liked something you want to improve on and maybe a direction for for the future um yeah and they they should not be offended if they are offended then you know maybe you can have some conversations with higher ups maybe you can or you know, just move on. (laughs) Yeah. Or that gives you confirmation that you should be moving on perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe what are things we can be looking for when we are in that period of like trying to find a good coach or a good therapist for us? Like what, um, what things can we be thinking of, um, when we're trying to find someone and, and to kind of gauge whether this person is a good fit for us or not, what, what should we be looking at? For sure. One thing that I really look for when I am looking for a therapist is someone who really knows themselves and knows how to discuss things that they, um, how they approach uh, circumstances, how they approach relationships, mental health, etc. And that they have a really good understanding of this is who I am and this is the work that I do. Um, when you come across someone that's like, oh, I do CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, I need to uh, articulate that in this space. And you're like, okay, so how does that, how does that, how's that look for you? And they're like, oh, I don't know. We just, we just kind of talk and we'll see how things go. Um, that to me was a little bit of a red flag because it's like, okay, you don't have a direction of, of treatment of, of work. And I guess in this case, I'm thinking more along the lines of a, a therapist. Right. Um, Yeah. So the specificity, like when you're researching, maybe look for the specificity of like, I am, you know, I, I'm, I specialize in like these fields, these types of like stuff like that, perhaps you could be looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I also don't mind having a consultation call, right? So saying, can I have a 15 minute consultation talk and writing down some things for yourself? Um, about certain topics that you want to talk about. So, you know, if it's kink, um, straight up asking that question in your consultation, you know, what are your perceptions of of kink and alternative forms of sexuality? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily getting specific, but what are your, um, what, what are your understandings of that? That's going to give you an indication about this individual because, you know, how they answer that question is going to be very telling as to, you know, are they open to having discussions about that or are they just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, kinks there. They People do that. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really I don't really know. And that's going to give you a good that's, idea if they're going to yeah. be able to help you in that. Yeah. So paying attention to the things like front loading all that information of like, okay, I'm a polyamorous person, you know, um, I'm a sex worker, I'm a kinky person, or just asking their kind of view on those three things, like to make sure they at least know, you know, have an unbiased view of, you know, your choices, your life choices, like I'm gay, or I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a queer person. And like, 
front loading all that stuff to make sure that they at least have like some experience um either personal or professional with like these areas to be able to you know um like help you in a way where they're just not gonna say oh well the issue is that you're dating multiple people at the same time (laughs) or like you know what I mean (laughs) the issue is that you know you need to be doing sex like this versus like spanking (laughs) like you know Mm -hmm. just front loading all that Absolutely. And, you know, it's definitely a comfort level, but you don't necessarily need to out yourself as, you know, gay or kinky or sex worker. You can just simply ask, you know, what are your opinions on these things? Because then that's going to give you uh, an indication about their, about themselves without necessarily outing who you are as a person. Great. Yeah, totally. Post podcast is sponsored by Come As You Are. Founded as a worker-owned cooperative, Come As You Are has a fundamentally anti-capitalist and feminist approach to sexual pleasure, health, and education. Come As You Are doesn't profit from your pleasure and only stocks products that they truly love and believe in. Come As You Are has been voted best sex shop in Toronto since 1997. Check them out at comeasyouare.com or 254 Augusta Avenue in Toronto's own Kensington Market. We are also sponsored by Club M4 Toronto. Club M4 is the largest sexually charged lifestyle club in the GTA. And now you can go to their website www.clubm4.com if anything looks interesting and you want to check it out, head on down to Club M4 at 1989 Dundas Street, Mississauga. How about, um, so you've had a couple, so all of that aside, um, how about if you've had a couple sessions with the person and how are you gauge whether this person is like helping you or not? Like if it feels like, they're not really like what are some maybe red flags we could talk about on the first few sessions like maybe how you should be feeling because it's that thing right of like okay you want someone maybe that is going to challenge you but you also want to feel safe you know what I mean so you don't want somebody that's like um it, it could be fine trying to like navigate that balance of like okay this person I guess that I feel safe and this person understands me and my deal but also I want to be pushed a bit as you mentioned previously how do you kind of navigate whether this person is doing all that stuff for you early right. on right two things I think about is uh the levels at which people are talking and who is talking when and how much and our learning versus comfort zone so i'll talk to the first one the first one if your therapist coach is talking a lot taking up a lot of space maybe they're talking about their personal life too much maybe they're trying to give solutions that are like oh well why don't you just stop doing this um it seems as if when um clinicians are talking in that manner that they are talking from themselves they're not talking with you so you know if a if a a clinician is saying 
um, something along the lines of, have you thought about this? Have you engaged in strategies about that? That sounds more like they're working with you and trying to understand where you're coming from and what things are impacting, you know, your life in a positive or negative way. So you really want a clinician that is really listening, um, repeating things back that they're saying, that you're saying, how they're then understanding and comprehending that. So if you're saying yes, like, um, you know, when I engage in sex work and I'm having flashbacks, if their response is, well, why are you doing sex work? That may be a little bit of a red flag, but if they're saying, okay, so it sounds like when you're engaging in this type of work, um, these flashbacks come up, you know, is there certain specific instances when these flashbacks occur? That's Mm -hmm. more Mm -hmm. of a green flag, right? Because they're really trying to understand about the flashbacks, about, you know, what's causing this, this disruption. Yeah, and, it's not about sex work. It's it's about like what about you in those situations while you're doing sex work is yeah, I see what you're mm-hmm. saying for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, the second thing I was uh, alluding to is our our learning zone, our comfort model. And um I think that a little bit of discomfort is important because right. that pushes us out of our comfort zone. There could be a lot of uh, comfort in being with someone who are having a great conversation with them, but you're comfortable, right? You want to shift out of that comfort zone to really think about, okay, what are my behaviors? How are my behaviors affecting others? How are these things that I'm engaging in affecting myself? And so that's pushing you into the learning zone right? where we're starting to actually deeply reflect and critically analyze, oh, how do all of these things come together to positively impact my life or negatively impact my life or maybe have a neutral impact? When it moves into this like alarm or panic zone where you're getting triggered often, I don't think getting triggered in therapy is a bad thing because they're pushing you to try to understand where that line, that boundary is. Mm-hmm. So triggers can certainly happen if they're happen super frequently or when you are triggered, you don't then feel safe, Supported. then that can be a red flag. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's all really good stuff. Yeah. Um, maybe we can move um, the conversation into like, do you the, the, feel free to um, just throw this question out if it doesn't do anything to you? Because some people uh, for you, because, <laughs> um, you know, as uh, me and my job, some people are like, do you have a typical client? Do you have a typical mm-hmm. session? You know, what does a typical session look like? Um, questions like that. But I'm wondering, like, for you, if that is the case, my, my answer to that is like, well, yes and no. You know what I mean? Um I'm wondering if that's the case for you, if like you have, you know, typical things that come up um, regularly in your sessions that we could maybe talk about a little bit, like just things that are kind of a little more universal as as far as like sexuality struggles, relationship struggles, what kind of is a common theme in your practice? It's so funny because I'm so guilty of asking that question to sex workers <laughs> that I've interviewed uh, for my work, and yeah. they give that exact answer. Well, yeah, yes, no, I know. Uh, well. yeah. <laughs> and it's here's the thing with my relationship coaching work is that there really is no typical client because I have people all over the spectrum that connect mm-hmm. with me for a variety of issues. It can be historical trauma-based things mm-hmm. that they're attempting to work on on and and work through all the way through to I want to stick stuff up my butt help me do that and so 
I think at the root of a lot of the concerns and why people are reaching out to me is that there is this disconnect with intimacy, Hmm. whether that's intimately connecting with themselves, intimately connecting with other people, there's this disconnect and they're wanting to address that. Okay. Um, So what Hmm. is that a disconnect with intimacy? So maybe they feel like they aren't fully engaged or fully present uh, during mm-hmm. sexual activity, like stuff like that? Yeah, mindfulness is a big part of it. And I think mm. that, you know, when we, we watch porn, for example, it's very much like, let's watch it, let's enjoy this opportunity and go through it. But, and that then can translate into the bedroom, right? Of let's right. let's do the thing and let's have fun. But, you know, you can attest to this. When someone is fully mentally present in their mind, in their body, in their space, where they are fully able to be vulnerable, to fully explore um, emotions and connections and sensations, that is where you're going to have the most mind-blowing session, the most mind-blowing sex, the most mind-blowing connection, because that vulnerability has, that door has been opened. Yeah, that's if, you know, I mean, if we're talking about like commonalities of things that come up like most often in sessions, like for me, uh, as a kink facilitator, that for sure is one of them. It's that thing of like, people, the intention behind this session is like, I just want to get out of my head for a little bit. You know what I mean? I just want to shut off for a bit and just like be in my body and just like enjoy. Like, I think that that's a common thing for sure that people kind of feel like there are like these talking heads, floating heads going around in the world. Right. And you rarely really get that opportunity to to be fully in your body, fully in a room, like undivided attention to someone um, or by someone, you know what I mean? And then um, approaching the session from there. And then that often those sessions end up to be really, you know, really successful and like really kind of mind blowing because it's like, oh, wow, I it's so rare that I get to it in a habit, a space like this where I'm fully in my body, just feeling every little thing that's happening, you know, that they were able to rid themselves of yeah. the expectations of the stigma of the shame of the guilt to just put all that aside and just say, what does pleasure feel like for me right now? And like the editing is off also, like, you know, Mm -hmm. the second guessing, the, all of the, the overthinking, the trying to control what's happening, all of that, those kind of mental hurdles that we can have. It's like, let's try and address that today. So that's interesting to hear that that's kind of a common thing for clients of yours as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's yeah. all about all overcoming those mental hurdles, whether it's uh, the physical mental hurdle of how do I play with my butt as a guy and get over yep. the fact that people say I'm gay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when I have a girlfriend, I have a fiance, she is wonderful and very much heterosexual, but butt play is kind of fun and it feels good. So how do I how do I allow myself to relax and to get those voices out of my head and to experience that? Um, and all the way through to the other side of things of survivors of sexual violence and not allowing those flashbacks to, to derail a session or to derail the time with your partner when you're even just cuddling and how to, how to manage yourself, how to breathe through it. I think breathing and eye contact are two very big uh, strategies, grounding activities, mindfulness strategies that really bring you into your body. 
Oh, I love to hear that because I, that is, uh, those are things that I do as well, specifically for, um, for folks that that is the intention that they want to be like, um, they want to be grounded. You know what I mean? So yeah, eye gazing is a lovely one. Um, breathing with like a hand on it, like regulating breath, like sinking breath, stuff like that can be a really good, like connective grounding activity. Yeah. I like to start off a session like that. It's like to switch, like, you know, we're, especially if we're negotiation, we're doing like, like a lot of talk, talk, talk about what we want to do and what we're going to do. They tell me about a little bit of history and stuff like that to give me some more insight, um, to do like a nuanced session. And then it's like, okay, it's time to do the scene. So like, I try to, you know, that transition, it's like, okay, let's do some grounding and then do the session from there. That's, um, yeah, that's the way I like to do it for sure. And it seems, it seems to have good results. <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, you know, even the, the science is slowly catching up and, and realizing that as well. There's more and more research coming out that show that mindfulness is one of the best tools for having a successful, intimate connection. Um, this was uh, Lori ben, uh, Benito out of um, BC who just uh, came out with this research, is particularly with women. Um, that didn't matter, like pills, uh, books, whatever. Mindfulness is one of the, uh, the key strategies to... Um, a successful intimate uh, interaction. Mm. Do you have any other tips as far as okay? So we have like eye contact, eye gazing type stuff, breathing type stuff. Is there any anything else you can think of off the top of the dome? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have this really fun workshop that I lead, uh, mm. and I made the big mistake one time of starting off with this, and it was talking about our favorite. Uh, past a memory, a memory with our partner that made us hot and bothered and horny, <laughs> turned us on. So like and visualization. Yeah. Yeah. Visualizing yeah. and talking about that with your partner. Oh, um, I started off with this activity at a sex club and about half the room left about halfway through. And I was like, why is everyone leaving? I'm doing a bad job. And as I <laughs> no, finished up, I, I walked around the club and they were, they in the middle of a, a, a like they were literally just drilling each other. And they're like, yo, Alicia, Alicia, that was, that was so good. I'm sorry we had to leave. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. So, you know, uh, so it wasn't bad. Um, but you know, going back, you inspired, the, you inspired, you inspired them. Inspired intimacy. <laughs> Yes. Um, going back and reflecting and, and talking, mm. not just thinking about it, actually mm. talking about what turned you on about your partner, what turned you on about that experience. And mm. it can be really humbling. I had one couple uh, in, in this, uh, this type of workshop where the husband said, yeah, when my wife did this, it was really hot. And, my, and the wife went, what? What are you talking about? And I said, why do you react that way? Yeah. And she said, because I didn't feel confident during that. I didn't feel like I was doing a great job, but it's uh, remarkable and I didn't to realize hear. the impact. Yeah, exactly. And it was remarkable to hear how turned on my husband was from this. So all of a sudden they went off to the club and had a good time. But um, yeah, it. so really thinking about those historical things and talking about that with your partner um, can be a really great uh, bonding activity and, you know, inspire some intimacy as well. Certainly. Yeah, that's the thing, right? It's like talking about sex, like, it honestly will enhance, not kind of remove, you know, whatever um, mood, you know, you want to set. Some people don't like to talk about sex and want it to just be in the moment and feel right. spontaneous. It's like, okay, but however, it's like, 
you know, if you do kind of that background work, even with new partners of like knowing what were their favorite parts of like what we did, then you can spontaneously in the moment next time, you know, create this spontaneous, passionate moment with knowing exactly the types of things that like are really going to push those buttons. It's like, it's just tools that are going to arm you to be able to, you know, create this really hot mood, you know, if, if the mood is really important to you at a later date next time, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I always get pushed back for, but then I get the appreciation afterwards mm. is uh, scheduling sex and scheduling that time Ooh, to connect. Yeah. And there was some research that just came out um, that found like many people in Western culture believe that sex happens spontaneously is more enjoyable. So people think that, okay, the spontaneous sex is the best sex. Yeah. But throughout their study, they found that having spontaneous sex was not strongly linked with good sex, sexual satisfaction. Mm. Um, and, they those beliefs that oh spontaneous is better actually negatively affects when they plan it so it's it's interesting that we our uh, perceptions of okay it has to be spontaneous in order for it to be hot and heavy yes. um, doesn't actually match what's going on in the research that's so interesting yeah because like i um you know, I, I do that thing where I'm a professional, so people have to book me ahead of time. So they are Ooh. planning, you know, to have a kink scene with me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so interesting with, like, clients, like, this this thing does happen, you know. Um, like, there are lots of people that embrace that process of, like, okay, I have to book you. And then I look forward to it. And then mm. I can fantasize about it in the interim. Mm. And then it gives me more time, perhaps, to, like, contemplate the things I really would like to do rather than the things I just assume I kind of should do. Like, it mm. it allows for all these cool opportunities. But then on the flip side, you know, you get the, the clients that, like, are clearly aroused and trying to book you immediately like are you available tonight are you available tonight (laughs) uh like you know you up you up baby baby like (laughs) like all of that and it's like listen you know you can like like scheduled there's so much that's interesting about um scheduling this appointment and just like trust me that this process fucking works like we will, you know, when the time comes, when your appointment time comes, trust me, you will still be aroused and excited to do this and like all of that stuff, right? That's interesting. And I, I, um, I haven't booked you personally yet. Maybe I should just to, oh. just to get the experience. But um, <laughs> when people it. book you, <laughs> when people book you, do they book hmm. a particular experience? And if so, has that ever shifted in between the time they book and the time that they arrive. Yes. So that's why we always kind of have the in-person negotiation because, you know, whenever they filled out that form, you know, a week ago, sometimes like (laughs) a month ago, a couple months ago, I'm like, okay, so I read the form. So just so you know, I know the information you gave me, but like, let's just completely start fresh. Tell me the things you want to do today because lots of times that will shift and it might be, you know, they've done some learning over that period of time or research or something, or maybe they've done some like, you know, (laughs) quote unquote research where they've just like seen some videos and maybe they've, you know, watched a porn that really was enticing and maybe they want to try that thing now. Or it could be the thing of like, oh, 
you know how I said hair pulling? Well, actually, I slept on my neck really weird, and that's absolute no. Or maybe, you know, I've had somebody that, like, got an ear pierced, you know, and they forgot that, and they're like, face slapping was one of the main things I wanted to do. That's an absolute no. It could be literally anything. You know, I have a bad shoulder, and the shoulder is really bad today, so no bondage on the upper half. Like, any of those body things that um, you need to know you need to check in day of. That's why I never start a session. Like sometimes you get the request, they want to be dominated the moment they step foot in the place. Right. Right. And I, that's something I don't, I don't facilitate even with regulars. We always have to check in because of all of that stuff that could change, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, you know, you could do that check in and be like, all right, now go wait outside the door, take a breath. There you go. And we're going to come in and you're going to lick my feet, you know? (laughs) we like we'll have a start to the scene yeah that that it will feel like you're suddenly disarmed like because yeah it's like okay we don't have to open the main door and start away uh, start right away but we can like yeah put in two different rooms and then I'm opening that door and starting right right away you know it's gonna feel the same same thing with that scheduled that idea of spontaneity and scheduled right like we can we can recreate that and if you are in your body in the way that we were talking about before you will feel it will feel spontaneous you know what I mean yes it really will yeah yeah you know even if we have a degree in psychology we're not going to read minds so Mm -hmm. there may we may have the expectation of what's going to happen in a scene but we don't know how when I I don't I don't know I don't know what to call you yeah or how they're going to show up or what implement they're going to use or what they're going to make you do or where they're going to you know impact you or yeah so it can be lots of fun yeah like when we're going to pull out that thing you told us whatever little nugget of information you gave us you know like then it's up to the other partner to be like uh, to do that spontaneously in the scene like it will it will feel I I guarantee it will feel better just giving them a little bit of information uh, surrounding said activity beforehand you know what I mean or maybe just putting it right there and just be like "Hmm, I see that there yes Hmm. you said you wanted that didn't you yes Hmm. that's (laughs) what I say I literally just taught a class on tease and denial and I'm like I love getting an information, a bit, a bit of information of like, oh, I love to do this in a scene. I'm like, great, I will take that information. I'll put it in my pocket, whether I want to use it, how, yeah. maybe I won't, maybe I'll just tease you about it. You know, maybe you'll never get it. Maybe I'll save it to the end. <laughs> maybe I'll, you know, like literally you, it's then up to me to like do whatever I want with that information as the dominant, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and yes, I love having exactly. that power. beautiful yeah and I'm sure everyone loves giving you that power (laughs) yeah they certainly do (laughs) keeps me in business yeah yeah it's interesting one of the we're talking about in this class I like wanted to create all the different types of intentions you can have underneath the activities of like being teased and denied and whatnot and and one of the main ones one of the common threads was unpredictability right Mm -hmm. so and then we talked about like little concrete games that you could play. You mentioned um, like sex dice, right? How can you can't get yeah. more unpredictable than rolling the dice to see if they mm. get to do the thing. And one thing that I always point out to people is like, I like to set up something that's predictable. Like I'm going to count down from 10. And then mm. at the end of the countdown, this thing is going to happen. And then 
like literally anything can happen from 10 to down to one. Like I can decide to change the rules. I can start counting really slow and then really fast. I can right. forget where I am and start again. <laughs> I can continue counting into the negative numbers. Like I can, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I like setting up this predictable thing and then creating all these surprises that are going to kind of make them feel disarmed. Yeah. That's probably why Roll for Sandwich is so big on TikTok, where they have like what this is that? side. They have like this, this guy. He has like a twenty-sided D and D die, uh-huh. and uh, he on there's a list of twenty different breads. He rolls for the bread, <laughs> rolls for the meat, <laughs> rolls for the cheese, rolls for the condiments, and then he eats that sandwich. And it, people eat that up. So I wonder if that is just the TikTok tease and denial side <laughs> that I'm on. I don't know. I love that, and isn't that fun? Because like I'm sure he finds. Like, uh, combinations that he's like, oh my god, this is fucking good. Like, I'm gonna have this again. I've never tried that with that, you know? So, oh yeah. Oh, that's so fun. (laughs) I just, I'm an old lady, but I just got on TikTok. So, I'm just starting to explore it. So, I'm gonna look up the sandwich guy. (laughs) Yeah, roll for sand. I'll, I, I can't remember. It's funny. Like, there's this big TikTok account. I don't even know the name of it off the top of my hand, but mm-hmm. they will just stand on this campus and have a sign and people win money. And one yep. of their signs was, who are we? And people are like, you're the guys from TikTok. And like, what's our names? And like, nobody knows. It's, no. it's this weird thing with TikTok. Everybody knows like, oh, okay. Like I know of the sandwich guy. I know mm. of the social justice warriors. I mm. know of this account, but I couldn't tell you the name of the account. Yeah. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> Is that something with, like, people have visual association, you know, like, recognizing a face, but it's, like, reading that's, like, different. <laughs> the ret- Like, so. the retaining information, some about that and how we learn, you know? <laughs> or we just put too much trust in the algorithm to bring us back. Yes, yeah, so we don't need to follow. So we've never actually yeah. looked at the name, follow, press the follow button. It's just, like, yeah. yeah, algorithm is crazy. It can, like, I heard it, like, it can sense when you're smiling while you're watching a video like so then it'll give you more I don't know if that's like a sci-fi fiction novel I just I just made up but like I heard that and I don't know (laughs) maybe it's uh it's actually called Adventures in Aridia A-A-R-D-I-A and I just took a look and it's Roll for Sandwich episode 122 so people love Roll for sandwich. Yeah, a little bit of a surprise and spontaneity in their sandwich making, apparently. So there we go. Oh my god, I love that. I mean, that rings true for how many people recommend that, right? Like, and then the other thing that people that is common that's related to this is is that people will, you know, will do that thing like I mentioned in person negotiation. So it's like, hi, how are you? We'll sit down for a few minutes before we actually begin the scene, and sometimes people want you know, because I'm a dominant provider, right? So sometimes Mm -hmm. they'll say, you know, I'm just here for you to like, do whatever you want to me. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. do whatever you want. This is all about you. And while I appreciate the intention of saying that, I'm like, well, that couldn't possibly be like, I'm in customer service, like, this has to be a bit about you, like, at least a little bit. Because, you know, um, it's that thing of safety, of course, uh, like, we need to know actually the things that you don't want to do and stuff like that. But also this thing of like, we have no rapport built up. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what I'll do then is I'll give that kind of first timer 
session of like a, a, a platter of sensation and they're all kind of mod- mild and moderate sensations and like just kind of take them through that but like you know right. they don't they don't know what I what I want and and you know like I'll just be like okay it's an ignore session there you go in the cage and I'll just be on my phone like is that what you were truly picturing for this scene no right like no you right. don't want that so like they, what they mean, I think that the the bid that they're making is that they want they don't want to know if they want mm. it to feel spontaneous, like that thing that we were saying, right? And it's like, okay, we can still make it feel that way with us actually doing a thorough negotiation about like the things you want to do and the things you don't. <laughs> exactly, and I, you know, I came across a thread of like, what's your biggest mistake with kink, and saying, <gasps> yes, oh, I'm down for anything, yes. down for anything. And I, hey, I definitely made that cardinal error. I was like, yeah, like sure. I'm pretty much down for anything. I don't really like this and that. And then, of course, a, a good friend of mine is just like, okay, so you're down for urine play? And I'm like, what is going on no. with your mind? <laughs> but it's it's but it was it was my fault. It was my fault because I'm like, oh, I'm down for anything. And it's it's funny. The more the more you know, the more you don't know, and uh, yes. the more you're just like, oh, okay. Here's what I like. Here's what I don't like. Here's what I want. Here's what I don't want. Here's my injury today. Here's my new piercing. I don't like this today. So things yeah. change. And that's the thing. Yeah, the more you know, the more you don't know is true because that's the thing of like people assuming taboos people have the same taboos right? right they're assuming that like you know we all don't like to do the same things you know mm-hmm. and like for you you know for that for that the miscommunication was like you assume that people don't do goldens like people don't generally don't like to do that so we don't even really right. need to say that like it's just an assumption that we're not going to do a piss scene as our first scene together and the other person was like literally all I do is piss scenes maybe yeah. you know you don't know yeah like maybe that's their top kink and they like absolutely want to do that every time it's like just don't make those assumptions you know exactly exactly yeah so alicia okay we are uh coming coming around the corner on this hour so is there any last thing we wanted to just end on maybe about like your work and stuff like that just to kind of sum up if we haven't hit something that you want to hit on in this conversation today Yeah, absolutely. You know, when it comes to relationships and our connections with other people, it doesn't necessarily have to mean romantic. Mm -hmm. There is an effort and intention that has to go into every single connection that we have with people. Um, And these connections are not always going to be perfect. So it does take work. Um, We are not living in a Disney fairy tale. Although I'm sure if you requested that session, I'm I'm sure you can make that happen. (laughs) Your role play, yep. Exactly. You know, and, and relationships do require work and it's not just the work on the relationship. It's also how we work on ourselves and bring ourselves to these relationships. So if you're wanting to connect with me, you can head on over to my website, inspireintimacy.com. There is where you're going to get connected to all my services, supports and social medias. Amazing. And for me, folks, I'm the most active on Twitter. So I'm at the Lady Pim one on there. But if you must go on over to Instagram, I'm at the Lady Pim or at the Bedpost podcast. This podcast has a Patreon. We are the Bedpost show. 
We also have a YouTube channel. It is also The Bedpost Show. And then, oh boy, I mentioned I'm an old lady on TikTok. You can follow me at the Lady Pim. <laughs> but for now, um, I want to thank the lovely lady who does all the original music on the podcast. Her name is Stephanie Copeland. You can find out more about her at Stephanie Copeland. Nope, stephcopelandmusic.com. And Alicia Fisher, sexologist and relationship coach. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It was so fun. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Amazing. I hope you enjoyed it, everyone. We'll see you next week with another fun and sexy guest here on the Bedpost Podcast talking about sex and sexuality. Until then, get fucked, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.